It's uh, a joy, the joy of subbing for David this morning. We'll look forward to a talk from him sometime soon. Yeah, well, I told Brenda this morning, I don't know if I've ever been so excited about what I have to share from the Word today. It feels really, really good. I, we're we're going to be talking, we're doing a series on revival. And Marty started it uh, so well, Revive Us Again, O Lord. And we are, have been looking the last few Sundays on the, in the biblical revival in Thessalonica. And we'll be continuing that foundational today. And we're going to be moving on to some of the biblical foundations of various historical revivals. Azusa Street, First Great Awakening, Second Great Awakening, and, and uh, probably Toronto and the Pensacola uh, Brownsville Revival and, and uh, different ones. I just, hmm, uh, it's been sort of on the back burner of my heart like for a few years now. And finally, we're going to get to preach it. Our preaching team is going to be sharing. Looking forward to that so very much. And I'm uh, glad you're here to, to uh, share with that week by week. And today, uh, this uh, message is called Serving the Living and True God. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a one-point sermon. Serving the Living and True God. And uh, as we've been sharing about essential features of a biblical revival from First uh, Thessalonians and, and Paul's work in Thessalonica in Acts 17 is expressed, three-week revival, great outpouring of the Spirit, many Jews come to faith in Christ in the synagogue. And if you've ever tried to talk to a Jewish person about Jesus, you'd know that often it's pretty tough to break through. Well, this was, this was a brand new thing. It was, it was tough to break through, but many Jewish people did come to Christ. And then many Gentiles, realizing that they could have all the promises that are the promises of the Old Testament, promises of Abraham, all the blessing of salvation history down through the ages from Adam, uh, in, in, from Genesis 1 all the way through the last chapter of Malachi, all the blessings that are uh, the, the thousands of blessings that are expressed there, that they have been blood-bought into the family of God, they get them to. And many of the uh, prominent women of the city of Thessalonica came to faith in Christ. And in three weeks' time, there was such a great outpouring that without the internet and without newspapers and without radio or television or any other means of communication, it was just word of mouth, by the time the Apostle Paul left Thessalonica after three weeks, took a few days to preach in Berea, a few days to preach in, in Athens. Revival broke out in small in a small ways there, but just as potent, just as infinitely powerful as any, one, any of the revivals with great numbers. Paul finally arrived in Corinth, and surprise, 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 everybody was all excited and stirred about what was going on 350 miles up in Portland, I mean up in uh, Thessalonica, and, uh, and the, the possibility of the revival hitting us here, too. They were ready. They were primed. And then a huge revival breaks out in Corinth, too. But from Corinth, the Apostle Paul writes back 1 Thessalonians and gives us hints of, of what happened there and what is <coughs> continuing to happen there. And I, I trust will continue to happen there. You know, I was on Amtrak train one time, and I was sharing the gospel with this person. I said, where are you from? He said, I'm from Thessalonica. In, in Greece. I said, wow, have you ever read it? 
First Thessalonians said, yeah, I have. It's awesome. I said, you're part of that church. Oh, I was honored to meet you. It's still going on. Still going on. So here's my one-point sermon. A heart that is a feature of revival, a heart that is turned from idolatry. A feature of revival is that a heart that is turned from idolatry to serve the living and true God. We started uh, on that digging this well. We're going to redig it and dig it deeper and dig it wider. And the revival waters are going to flood out of it into your life today as we focus this one-point sermon today. A heart that is turned from idolatry to serve the living and true God. 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 9. For they themselves, that is the people of Corinth that I'm working with now, Paul's saying, they declare, in other words, they're not just sort of just giving us news. They are declaring it. It is uh, something that everybody is preaching. Everybody's got to preach on them, preach anointing on them. They are declaring concerning us when we were with you guys what manner of entry we had to you up there in Thessalonica and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God. And we mentioned last time that there actually were images that they worshipped. Every town, every city had its own local idol. You know, great as Diana of the Ephesians, that was their local idol. And the Romans had this practice of just adding every town they conquered, every city they conquered to the Roman, the Roman pantheon of gods. Uh, ultimately, all, all Rome cared about was that as we embrace all the gods of the cities that we conquer, that you submit to the state, that you submit to the, uh, the narrative of what we say is wise, what we say is true, what we say is right. As long as you do that, you can worship whatever you want. Sort of smacks of some of the direction that, we, that many of us sense uh, the USA is, is, is going. And it's sad, but it's not, there's nothing new under the sun that there is a collective idolatry that says what we say is more important than what the Bible says. The ethic we pronounce is, is more wise and more virtuous than what God's word says. And so you must submit to what we say and think about and think what we think it's a sort of a collective thing. That's a danger that we need to watch out for moving forward in the political environment. I don't say that to discourage you. I'm just saying that there's nothing new under the sun. Christians have always thrived in the midst of difficulties. I mean, Jesus Christ himself, didn't he say? Three times he said, be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. And one of those times he said, he said, my peace I give you, not as the world gives you, give I unto you, be of good cheer. In this world you will have tribulations, but be of good cheer. Even in the midst of tribulation, be of good cheer. Why? Because I have overcome the world. So there is always, no matter what we face in the cultural environment, whatever we say, face in our personal environment, personal circumstances, we are to be enduring in terms of difficult circumstances. Endurance is the word for patience in circumstances in the New Testament. Forbearance is the word of difficult people in our lives. Now, patience is required in two general areas. Circumstances 
endure. Difficult people, forbear. Everybody say forbear. Yeah. Anybody, anybody have any difficult people in your life of late? Forbear, forbear, forbear. Anybody have difficult circumstances? And patiently endure, endure, endure. But always, 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 it's possible to be of good cheer. Jesus did it. We can do it. We have the anointing of Jesus' motivation in our blood and our motives and our, because of his spirit. We can do this. Turn to the person next to, the, to you right now and say, you can do this. Be of good cheer. Yeah, you can. So we don't, we don't have the biblical, we don't have the first century golden idols per se. Our, our, ours is a bit more subtle, isn't it? And I remind you that I believe last time we put up a quote by John Wimber. He says, you, you show me where you spend your time, your thoughts, your money, your attention, your affections. Outside of God. And I'll show you what you're worshiping. It's the more subtle, isn't it? Idolatry is real. Idolatry is a temptation that Christians can face through the world, the flesh, and the devil. It is something that can captivate our time, our attention, our money, our heart. And it can jam up our first love of Jesus. It can be an anxiety. It can be a worry. It can be a health problem. It can be a disappointment. But it can jam up our first love for Jesus. And I want to tell you, God's going to liberate many of us today. I'm excited about this message because many of us are going to get free back to our first love today. Hallelujah. You turn from idols, idols of the heart, to serve the living and true God. That's called repentance. And many of us think of repentance as being something you do at the altar with tears. There is a dimension of repentance, but repentance is multifaceted. Bill Johnson, remember him saying that one of the greatest expressions of repentance is laughing in church. Because many of us are used to being sort of somber in church. And when we realize that God is a cheerful God, a happy God, and a joyful God, a rejoicing God. And if we're to align with his personality, laughter can be one of the most beautiful expressions of rejoicing, can't it? But repentance is to be a lifestyle. Have you discovered in your own journey that you've had to repent more than once on anything? So a few of you, yeah. Glad to not be alone there. In the great revival in the mid-1500s that Martin Luther was a key instrument in sparking to, to light the fires of revival in Europe, the context was a certain monk named Tetzel who was going around selling indulgences to raise money for St. Peter's Cathedral in Rome that was being built at the time. So he was going around collecting money 
in Germany for a church in, building in Rome. And he was doing something entirely unbiblical that really stirred Martin Luther. He was going around saying, if you make a donation to me for this, St. Peter's, we're building this cathedral in, in Rome. Pope's blessing is on it. The Pope has declared that uh, you can get hundreds or thousands of years off your time in purgatory later on. Not a biblical concept, but definitely a medieval theological concept. You can spring Uncle Joe out of purgatory and get him into heaven immediately. He'll thank you later. Just takes your money. In fact, he had a little jingle that he proposed. He said, as soon as the coin in the coffer rings, the soul from purgatory springs. And Martin Luther said, no, that's not the Bible. So on on, uh, October 31st, 1517, he nailed the 95 Theses on the door of Wittenberg Chapel, inviting all comers to come and debate the concept. He wasn't trying to say, let's not be Catholic anymore. He said, let's reform the Catholicism to the Bible. And he had no idea what would happen, but out of that one act, fires of revival spread throughout Europe, and people realized that we are righteousified not by paying money, or by doing any other religious work, but we are righteousified by grace alone, through faith alone. Bam! There was a, just such an outpouring of fire and blessing and belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, the first, thesis, the first of the 95 theses that Luther wanted to debate went like this. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent... He willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. They begin, continue, and end their life of faith here on earth with repentance. I don't think that necessarily means you're up at the altar crying every single Sunday or midweek. There's a place for that. But you know, the Greek term for repentance, metanoia, denotes a change of mind, a fundamental transformation of our outlook toward God. It basically is saying God is pro-me. It's basically saying God is in a good mood towards me all the time. It's basically declaring that Jesus Christ is alive, resurrected, alive, and he loves me and I have his full attention all the time, And Jesus Christ is the most positive person in all the universe, in all the multi-universes. I think there's just two, this universe and the heaven realm. But Paul talks about different levels of heaven, doesn't he? Third level, I don't know. There's some speculation about that. But I'm just saying that Jesus Christ fills all things in all ways. In him we live and move and have our being. In In him our life consists And Jesus Christ is infinitely and by far the most positive person 
in the whole universe, and he is your best friend. He's positive towards you. He's optimistic towards your future. No matter what's going on in your personal journey that's a difficult stress factor that you need with people, forbearance for, that you need with circumstance, endurance for, Jesus Christ is right there with you, and he is extremely positive towards you. And when you realize that, it is a change of mindset. It is a paradigm that you work with mentally and conceptually that changes your mind about what God's like. And I want to tell you, it is a catalyst for rocking your world in a continual way. It is so entirely energizing to know that Jesus is always thinking positive towards you, always optimistic towards you, always hopeful towards you, that his primary motive towards you, always and evermore, his primary first motive thing towards you is the attitude of grace, undeserved favor. And we're just tipping, touching the tip of the iceberg. You'll see later when you see him face to face what I'm talking about. When you start having, when you have tears, not of repentance in heaven, but tears of unbelievable happiness, that it really is true that what Pastor Dan talked about that Sunday is real. And you'll be, your joy will be so marked by weeping from your heart because it is such a happy moment. What are you going to feel like when you feel the touch of the Savior on your cheeks, wiping away your tears? What will that feel like? I want to tell you, it's going to make your eyes gush. It's going to make your eyes gush with tearful joy. And I'm going to be there too. I'm going to be watching. I'm going to say, I told you. Don't think I'm just making that up. That's, what I'm, that's my intention. I got the plan. <laughs> but I'm, a, I'm in line too for it. Augustine put it this way in the early 5th century. To fall in love with God is the greatest of romance, all romances. To seek him, the greatest of all adventures to find him the greatest of all accomplishments. You see, we turn from idols to something, to positivity, to Jesus. I mentioned last time, I touched on it, that the Jesus People revival in the early 70s was marked by a profound and authentic love for Jesus that was triggered by a personal miraculous and very clear vision of Jesus that was no less powerful for the individuals involved than Paul the Apostle's Damascus Road revelation of Jesus Christ. It was stunning. It knocked you to your knocked you off your feet to the ground. You went from emptiness to fullness, from angry despair about the way the world was to inexpressible joy. Grass was greener. The sky was bluer. Life was good. You f- there was clarity, and it was all based on revelation. I, was, I came to Christ during that revival. And one of the things that marked 
that revival. was a revolution of music. Some of you will remember that up to that point, we used to sing in church with hymnals. And the hymns were good. They were from previous revivals. Good theology in those hymns. But it was a paradigm, a template that was, we were a bit stuck in it. It became a revolution to buy an overhead projector. start singing a little bit differently. Revivals have always been marked by a, a change of music that was inspired by young people in their 20s and 30s. Can you feel the mountains tremble? Can you hear the oceans roar? As we sing of Jesus Christ, the risen one, written by a 30-year-old. I wonder what they sang in the Thessalonian revival. I wonder what a few weeks earlier Paul sang with Silas in the Philippian jail. Can you hear the mountains tremble? Can you feel the oceans roar as we sing of Jesus Christ, the risen one? Something like that. Kind of shook things up there, didn't it? And revivals of music has shaken been part of the shaking of revivals ever since. Luther's revival, the Reformation in the mid-1500s, the song A Mighty Fortress is Our God, was a popular tune of the day in other contexts. He put Christian words to it. In the First Great Awakening, John Wesley, Whitfield, Jonathan Edwards in the mid-1700s, in England and in the colonies, came forth, Christ the Lord is risen today. Christ the Lord is risen today, hallelujah. Hark the herald angels sing and others. Charles Wesley wrote 6,000 songs for that revival. Second Great Awakening in the mid-1800s, Moody, Finney, others. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, early in the morning our song will rise to thee. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Came out of that revival. Azusa Street Revival. Had one song they especially liked. William Seymour. African-American preacher. Thanks. In his early 30s. Preaching at Azusa Street. So humble that at times... Put a bucket over his head just so he wouldn't be the dominant presence. And because of that, that humility, the spirit just came. The song they sang over and over and over again. The comforter has come. The comforter has come. The Holy Ghost from heaven, the Father's promise given. The Comforter has come over and over and over again. And surging through the simple choruses. Fire! 
fire. I wish I had listened to my first mentor, Orville and Ivory Leadership, as they sang every night one of the choruses from Azusa Street as second-generation revivalists. Sometimes when you're young, you don't appreciate the shoulders you stand, you stand on until they're gone. I'd love to have written down those. I can't think of very many of them now. Some of them I do. But I do remember some of the songs from the Jesus movement. The Brownsville, I'm running to the mercy seat. Brownsville, Pensacola revival in the 90s. <clears throat> if I can just describe for you the church life of the 1960s. It was solid. It was good. God was moving. But when the Jesus movement hit, many of you have seen the movie. Chuck Smith at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. In making the choice to humbly risk the fear, not fearing man, proof of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever puts their trust in the Lord will be kept safe. And risking what he discerned was authentic life in young people. And then going a step further and saying, bring your music with you. Love song when they were only saved about a year and a half, wrote, welcome back. And it broke off a template. It broke off a paradigm, a wineskin, that although good wasn't the best for this movement. And that song, as one of the first they sang, produced a catalyst for even more songs. That, like the songs of other revivals in the past, including Paul and Silas in the Philippian jail, shook things up. Shook things up and released life, Jesus' resurrection life, like people had not known or experienced before. I want to take two minutes for you to hear this song. Not for those of us that are my age to reminisce about the past, but for you to have a sense that in the Jesus movement, out of Costa Mesa, over 80,000 young people came to Christ and spread the fire, fire of God worldwide. Millions were affected. Music was a big part of it. Would you indulge me two minutes to listen to love song? We're going to start one minute into it, but here it is. One of the key features, by the way, is they sang not just for the church to worship. They sang with reference to people that were on the edge of coming or coming back to Christ. Welcome back is appealing to people that have had some experience but had backslid, and it was instrumental in turning them back to Jesus.
and ends with just a simple phrase, welcome back to Jesus. Revelation of Jesus in music. I'm really proud of our worship bands and our worship leaders because they're constantly aware of what the Spirit's up to with new music and new songs, and they share those with us, and it keeps us as part of the, the current move of what, the, what God's up to in our world today. So thank you, our worship team leaders. I want to find a place to land this real quick. I remind you that the Apostle John wrote to the church at Ephesus, gave them many compliments, but he said, you know what, though? You've lost your first love. Jesus is saying, I want your first love restored. Nevertheless, nevertheless, I have this against you, Jesus says. You have left your first love. I mean, none of us mean to leave our first love for Jesus. We don't mean to. Our hearts just get cluttered. Our hearts get jammed up. By disappointments, regrets, sins, losses, financial challenges, health challenges. Repentance is a lifetime experience. A continual restoration of first love. And it takes a fight. It takes a willingness to stand up and say, I will fight. Jesus Christ is worth fighting for me. With all this going on in the world, the most important thing to me in my life journey, the thing I will protect at all costs, no anxiety, no stress, no loss, no difficulty, I will protect Jesus and me and my first love. The enemy will always try to attack it, minimize it, reduce it, throw in an idol here and there to distract us, but I will fight for my first love. I will fight and I will win. I will never give up. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. I remember Flora Taylor. She prayed for her husband, Arthur, for 50 years to be saved. Then one day, Arthur phoned me up in Astoria. said, could you come over? I need to talk to you. I talked to him outside by his garage. I can still remember the visit. His brother had just passed away and Arthur wanted to get right with God. So I prayed with him to receive Christ. I loved him. He's a wonderful brother. I remember a couple things about him. He said, I'd always say, how you doing, Arthur? And he said, well, at my age, anytime you wake up in the morning, it's going to be a good day. <laughs> and he, he took me fishing on the Astoria River, River uh, Beach where it goes into the Pacific Ocean and Salmon fishing. They taught me how to fish there off the beach. It was called Social Security Beach because all these old guys stretched along there. 
He was killed in a car crash a couple days later, a couple years later. And I and Flora was a mess. I visited her in Lincoln City. She's just body was just bloated because of the, her own severe injuries, the car crash. Couldn't she was unresponsive. She was, but I, I, I she came home. She recovered. I visited her in her home, and I said, "Lord, I'm so sorry. What happened to you? And what happened to Arthur? I just." I know it's so difficult. It must be so depressing. You know what she did? I can still picture her sitting in that chair in her living room. She stood up and she said, I will not let this get me. I will stay with Jesus fully and 100%. I will not be depressed. I will not be hindered. I will win. And there was such an anointed determination in her voice from this quiet old Methodist lady that I, I was shocked, but I was stirred and I was inspired. And I've thought of that many times. I thought about it. I've thought about it many times because over the years there have been distractions. There have been things that have surprise hits. Someone said life for an adult is like carefully looking both ways to cross the, before you cross the street and then getting hit by an airplane. <laughs> There's an exaggeration for effect. But some of us identify. Things get in the way. John Wimber says it, it seems the, most, the more I think about not sinning, the more I sin. But the more I just think about loving Jesus, the less I seem to sin. Falling in love with Jesus seems to be the key. It's the key to everything. John Piper said about ministry, our usefulness in ministry is inextricably tied to our delight in Christ. Don't be fooled into thinking you can overlook the condition of your own heart and still be helpful to others. And Augustine, another quote from Augustine. This is beautiful. I'm going to quit with this one. Run to and fro everywhere. It's not up there, but listen. Run to and fro everywhere, you holy fires, you lovely fires. For you are the light of the world, and you're not to be hidden. He to whom you cleave is raised on high, and he's raised you on high. Run to and fro and make yourself known to all the nations. stand up. I make this appeal to us today in the name of the Lord Jesus. Guard and protect your first love. If Jesus is saying to you, I have this against you, you've lost your first love, you can fix it today. And you can make, like Flora Taylor, that determined declaration, I will win I will say no to any distraction or hindrance or anything that will jam up my first love. I will not lose it. I remember one more quick story. I was first year of marriage, first year of pastoring, first year of teaching junior high school at the age of 21 teaching 15-year-olds. First year of marriage had some difficulties. First year of teaching, I took over from a guy who, who, who was fired because he, he couldn't manage the class. 
first year of pastoring, my board wanted me to pastor a certain way that I didn't think was consistent with what something I could do. In the three most important areas of my life, I was a mess. And I thought to myself, I'm a Jesus person. What happened? I'm in a Christian school and I feel lousy. I've got a Christian wife and I feel lousy. I have a, I'm a pastor of a church and I feel lousy. What's gone wrong? And Jesus called me back to a first love. And I've never forgot going back. Nothing matters except Jesus and me. Nothing really matters in comparison except Jesus and me. Is that, can that be your confession? Can it be you and Jesus in your first love? Will you get that sorted out? I can't fix your heart, but you and Jesus can. Will you get that sorted out? And will you protect your first love and say no to any attack? Let's do that as we worship. Sing a worship song. Let's love Jesus together as we move forward as a congregation, as a church family. Let's love Jesus together with first love fire. If you'd like prayer for a miracle in your life today, come forward. We have a team ready to minister through Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever.
come forward and get prayer. If you'd like to spend some time at the altar just doing business with Jesus, you're welcome to do that, encouraged to do that. God bless you. Jesus loves you. We love you. Keep the fire stoked. Keep the first love burning, burning, burning. God bless you.